it was this idea that anybody can play music and that you don't need a lot of skill. In fact, a lot of skill gets in the way of people's participation. So to find out what's possible, hum, squawk, bang, waller, picking up instruments that you couldn't play, making twangy notes, making soundscapes, reading different kinds of scores. This is not music as I understand it at all but a kind of beautiful experience with these groups of people, you know, like just this kind of ramshackle assortment of people who were joined by this thing called community music. And I thought this is really quite something, <laughs> the genuinely democratic and participative way of making music. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Town Sounds Oral History Podcast, celebrating the musical heritage of Kirklees. This episode is entitled Together in Any Weather, Community Music in and Around Kirklees. I have a number of inspiring musicians and musical facilitators joining me for this episode. Phil Russell started us off with that lovely quote. He is one of the founders of Hoot Creative Arts, and we'll hear more from him shortly. I'm also joined by the music therapist at the Women's Centre Huddersfield, Emily Druce, the director of Musica Kirklees, Tom Meredith, Sean Leonard, who was business development manager at Beaumont Street Studios from 2002 to 2008, and Eddie Dobson, one of the founders of the Yorkshire Sound Women Network. Here's Eddie now. I believe strongly in the influence of your environment on your learning. If you understand how to set up a sound system, you're more likely to just take it and do it rather than have to depend on somebody else. So if if you know your staff, that's empowering, basically. And if you have that environment which is low risk, where you can really play and become absorbed in that expensive equipment or even less expensive equipment, but you've got access and you can play with it, you can develop that confidence and make mistakes without an audience. And I think that's really important. This episode will end with a special feature about local open mics, with interviews from audience members, musicians and compares of the open mic scene. So stay with us until the end to hear Lyndon, Natalie, Ethan, Adam, Monica and Jess talking about open mics. I think because there's people from so many different, like, age groups and walks of life and stuff, it's just, there's a lot more to talk about. I'm pretty sure the open mics taught me how to socialise, actually, because I'm not very good at it, but I am now. Community music isn't a style or genre of music, so there aren't necessarily any audible cues. Rather, community music refers to some kind of value system or intention or purpose regarding music. As the name suggests, these values are related to the power that music has to affect the communities that gather around it. Community music is often about education and improvement of mental well-being. It's also about trying to make sure that everyone has access to music creation. Today, we'll be absorbing ourselves in Kirkley's examples of community music. We're going to start with Hoot Creative Arts, a mental health and arts organisation which has been running for 22 years in 2023. The way Hoot works is they run group creative art sessions for people with mental health issues or concerns. These sessions are quite diverse in nature. It could be a pottery session with people with dementia. It could be a singing group in a hospice or a dance class for adults with mental health issues. It could be a DJ workshop in a youth club or songwriting in a prison. It all comes down to the premise that music makes you feel better. To tell us more, I was lucky enough 
to talk to one of the founders of Who Creative Arts, Phil Russell. We spoke online during the pandemic, him in his shed, me in my garage. So that's when Hoot started, about 2001. We started doing some sessions at Mind, and then we started doing some sessions in Huddersfield and scrabbling together little bits of money. So we ended up with a kind of about 10 or 15 African drums, some songs. That's what we started doing, really. We didn't really think too much of anything. We weren't, you know, it wasn't meant to be highfalutin. It was just like, this works, doesn't it? And so we just gradually, people said, can you come and do one here? And will you do one here? And people really liked it. <laughs> they really liked sitting around in a circle playing drums together. And it had that whole spirit of almost everyone can hit a drum in time, even if you just make one note. And it's a powerful beast, isn't it? It's about we can do this together. There were some ideas from the therapeutic community history that we were trying to apply within a, a, a arts and health culture. And also what was going on is, is it, you know, it was one of those times when what we were doing coincided with the zeitgeist. So there was, a, you know, people were kind of realising that what we were saying, people needing many more different approaches to build resilience and, and well-being than just dealing with their problems, was now becoming the norm. So what happened was that people were then looking around for organisations who had a more progressive approach. So they then started commissioning and, and the whole setup became much more robust and we got, you know, decent sized contracts to deliver services consistently. Over the years, I've been fortunate enough to work for Hoot on several occasions. In fact, they gave me my first ever proper freelance contract. One series of sessions I ran was in Dewsbury. In each session, we went to a different part of the world. We learned about a different country's traditional music, listened to some, and then used that music as an influence for our own creations. We recorded six pieces of music over 12 two-hour sessions. Here's an example. I'll let you guess which country this is inspired from. The song is called Catching the Dream. The charity has had a huge effect on the local area over the years. Without it, the Kirklees music scene would be vastly different. Being an artist is blooming hard work. I watched Jess run a session recently. I was at her raised voice choir and I remembered how much attention it takes to hold that group and to know all the start notes and have all the material down, to work out when you've got to move on, to read the energy of the group. I think um, one of the things that I'm particularly has been joyous in terms of who is this succession of young artists who've come along and, and work with us, you know, like Jess and Rob and you and, and Phony, of course, and, and Bart, you know, like loads and loads of people now who, you know, they found a place where they could feel at home with their own music and their own ideas. And then they were with us for a bit and then they've gone off and done other things. Oh, he's got a little demon. A devil that just cannot be 
worked in hospices, we worked in prisons, we worked with learning disability, we worked in mental health settings. But it's all fueled by this kind of network of people who are very creative and often undervalued, I think. It's more important than people would give it credit for, and we often undersell ourselves and don't get paid enough. The music there is Swing Thing by Phil's band Yellow Goose. Singing is Sean Leonard, who we'll hear from a bit later on in this podcast episode. So as Phil explained there, community music isn't the glamorous world that one might perceive for professional musicians. There's little fame or fortune. There's a lot of challenge and sacrifice, burnout and exhaustion. But the whole thing is made worth it by a dream. A dream that has run through this podcast series, I think. From the massive effort of organising festivals, to the financial difficulties of touring rock and roll bands, to the huge number of volunteer hours put in to maintaining local radio stations, there is a dream of a more united world, a better future, a more interesting life, a healthier mindset, something like that. People do it in the knowledge that music is a catalyst to a stronger community. The satisfaction in the work that makes it all worthwhile is explained here by Emily Druce from the Women's Centre. I am a music therapist there. That is my my sort of role. Uh, It's a mix of running groups and songwriting with women one-to-one. I do bits of songwriting in lots of settings, but there, there's something about it that the women are just so... It's really vibrant work. They're kind of ready to have a go at writing songs. So many people have never written a song before and they will sit down and give it a go and then be up singing their own songs, performing, which, yeah. I mean, you must have found that in your work as well. It it still surprises me, though, when somebody comes and then they just take to it like a duck to water and... um, and then the next thing they want to do is, you know, is share it, isn't it? Um, which is an interesting one, because I think going back a decade, maybe, um, there were there was a lot of sort of always performance, you know, is that OK as therapy and how do you, you know, but I've just seen it so many times that that, that is a person's personal journey is, first of all, finding the courage to to have a go at that thing and finding that satisfaction in making, you know, putting what might be really personal or really difficult emotions into the container of a song and then kind of actually wanting it to come out and share it, yeah. The Women's Centre Kirklees run mental health and wellbeing services, counselling and therapy services and a number of other support services. Their focus is on mental health and support where Hoot's focus is on music. Emily runs group music sessions and one-to-one music therapy sessions with a varied, diverse and ever-changing group of women. I asked how Emily runs these sessions, how she goes about writing songs with people who have never written a song and in a therapeutic setting. She explained it to me. So, yeah, some, I mean, sometimes people will just bring something in they've written and, and then the, the work we do together is to do with forming that into song but more often it is people starting to talk about things and me catching catching little bits so that people maybe think think something they've said wouldn't be a song you know that that oh, that wouldn't be a song that's you know but actually then sort of seeing that mirrored back and, and adding something to it that rhymes or has a sound you know some starts to become song-like I think then people really fly with that with that process and it becomes a joyful process as well so what might start off as something quite difficult and sad 
you suddenly see this animation going on where somebody's kind of threading bits together and it becomes such a positive process. It's, it, yeah, I love it. Did I fall through the gaps in your heart and slip unnoticed out the door? The music we're listening to here is Wasting My Time and My Tears by Emily Druce and Steve Jones, a.k.a. Druce and Jones. Emily spoke about her work with women, and, as we've heard in previous episodes of this podcast, women are often underrepresented and have less access to experience in some music scenes and industries. This is especially true in music technology, This is a gender gap that local CIC, Yorkshire Sound Women Network, aims to bridge. Their role is to inspire and enable women and girls to explore sound and music technology in Yorkshire and beyond. Speaking next is one of the founders of the network, Eddie Dobson, discussing their introduction to the music technology world, learning and teaching. There's something around access to technology because it, it's an economic resource, you know. Some, some people have that kind of empowerment naturally because their mate has got a studio or they've got a computer. You know, you, you grow up and you see some people have that facility and others don't. Because I grew up in an environment where I had access to uh, all these toys, you know, these sound toys, like the computer and tape machine, um, I believed strongly in the influence of your environment on your learning. and how having a a relationship that can lead you to feeling empowered. So if you understand how to set up a sound system, you're more likely to just take it and do it rather than have to depend on somebody else, particularly with music technology. Particularly in a wider culture where we have this uh, relationship where technology and masculinity are somehow combined together. So I went on um, to take up a position in Scarborough And it was really much in the early days of that course, and it was the early days of um, the creative music technology, which was a new sort of music technology degree. There weren't very many around the country at that time. And it was a quite competitive world. And in in sort of subtle ways, I was aware that I was being tested. Whether I'd put that down to my gender or not, I don't know. But over the the years, I I just sort of pushed this aside and and noticed the, um, the gender imbalance. It wasn't really until after I'd left there, worked at Leeds College of Music for a while. And then I worked at Portsmouth for a while and I, I experienced a number of things at Portsmouth that I thought, okay, there's a, there's a bit of an issue here. There, there are various things about this environment that are really exhausting for me and I think that they were too, to do with my gender. Um, the, the typical thing being having a meeting where you, you end up being the person who takes the minutes or jokes about making the tea. And also the volume in the room, you might have staff meetings where colleagues are really uh, using the power in their voice to be heard. And that's not, that's not really a very survivable environment for someone like me who doesn't have a strong voice.
The music we've been listening to is a piece called Bodywork by Eddie Dobson under the alias Decanter. Eventually, Eddie got a job at Huddersfield University, an environment that has been much more hospitable. During their time at the university, Eddie has been researching, teaching and publishing on electronic music and music technology, often with an emphasis on how those subjects cross over with pedagogy, feminism and gender. Eddie and colleagues kept facing the same issues, a lack of women and girls joining the music technology courses. Eddie had an idea. Well, I basically sent a tweet out with a picture um, of a PCB and the moon behind it, because the moon's important. Um, and I tweeted this picture and I said, I'm going to host a meeting for the Yorkshire Sound Women Network, as if it was a thing. Um, and then she said, you know, who's in? Who's, who wants to join me? Um, and suddenly all these people were, were there. They'd come from Bradford and from Sheffield and uh, from Huddersfield. And we all introduced ourselves to each other and we decided, yeah, we're going to do this together. And uh, we all had different ideas about what we wanted to do. The real drive for me was initially to provide those facilities so people know those skills and become empowered. Um, so those two things together mean that they might be more likely to pursue careers or interests in those fields and help to saturate or certainly change the demographic of people in those areas. For 11-year-old girls to understand how a circuit works, basically solder it together and make a noise instrument, and for them to grow a sense of what if or in inquisition about technology from that point of view, rather than just as a user. The, the challenge when pushing things forward in terms of you know, feminism um, in audio is trying to prioritise and uh, trying to cut a path through that makes change that benefits everybody. The Yorkshire Sound Women Network has three key priorities. One is education, so working with young people. One is community, and the other is industry advocacy to try and address systemic changes as well. Gradually, the organisation has been able to build up well now very significant grants and that's that's important because it means that the organization has been able to employ a lot of people through that funding so there's an economic gain there as well as pointed out there access to quality teaching and learning is a fundamental source of empowerment understanding and innovation Yorkshire Sound Women Network hosts lectures, classes and workshops where participants can get to grips with music technology in a safe, non-judgmental and low-pressure environment. This is the culture that some music teachers and facilitators choose to work in as well. It's about enjoyment, freedom and diplomacy. So staying on the theme of teaching, let's go to Musica Kirklees, who provide lessons and music opportunities for individuals, schools and centres across Kirklees. I spoke with the principal, Tom Meredith. He concurred with our other guests that music should be open to all. But it's something that we've talked to our teachers about, the whole inclusive nature of music, about how it brings people together. For most people, it's something that just is there to make you feel positive about life. We meet with groups of young people and say, how's it all going? You know, what, what could we be doing differently? What works well for you and, and for your peers? And how should we do things so that it means even more to you? You know, you never want to make anybody feel that they are not welcome or not included. Uh, so it's... 
it's the art of classroom management that teachers all all learn you know you you pick up on who's not really quite engaging in the in the way that you'd want them to do and you try and change your teaching so you're including somebody if you create within a young person the passion to want to do something well then they will automatically want to do things in the, in the best way possible they'll automatically go for quality they'll, they'll want to know well technically how do I do this there, there was a sort of almost like a bit of a, a dispassionate way of teaching that you taught technique and this is this is what people needed was the discipline of saying right you must make sure you do your half hour practice every every night and this is what you do and this is how you hold an instrument and and different people will respond to things in different ways some people will want to be you know to be able to sit there in their own home in a room and, and write songs and record them and, and put them onto social media other people will want to be trying to play the clarinet to uh, to international standard and enter BBC Young Musician of the Year and go on and be in an orchestra um, and all those those sorts of things. Um, so it's just, you know, it's making sure that that you register what the young people want and, and, and where they want to, to to get to with their with their music making. It's a balancing act, isn't it, like, like with lots of things. This is one of the features of community music. It's not about making better musicians necessarily, although you'd hope that that might be a byproduct. It's about creating happier people and better lives. Tom Meredith is the principal at Musica Kirklees, an organisation which spreads over all parts of Kirklees, with area managers based in Batley, the Cone Valley, the Home Valley, Murfield and Shelley. One of the groups that the organisation manages is Musica Youth Orchestra. And by the time I'd started in uh, 1999, there were no youth orchestras left in, in Kirklees. We just put out a message to all the students that we had at that time saying, is there anybody of this level who would like to come along and, and play? And we got over 100 people who said, let's, let's come and have a play, a workshop day. And we asked them to vote on whether they wanted it to be sort of a one-off thing that we, we did, you know, perhaps a couple of times a term. Did they want holiday courses or did they want it to become a regular uh, weekly event? The majority said regular weekly event, so we set the youth orchestra up at that point, and it's now been running for 22 years. Usually there's about 60, 65 players in the youth orchestra, and they're a wonderful, wonderful group of young people. It's very talented, they, they come there and, and, and want to be taught, they want to learn, they want to do things as well as they possibly can. And here they are, Music a Youth Orchestra playing some Gustav Holst. I think what Music of Kirklees are doing is pretty incredible. They're giving communities of young people an opportunity to express their musicality in a way that is decided by them. The teaching informs the students only as much as the students inform the teaching. It's a beautiful circular philosophy. Inclusion, flexibility, sensitivity and tact are at the core of community music. Arguably, no one needs these qualities in their musical lives more than young people. Young musicians of today are the professionals, creatives, teachers and innovators of tomorrow. This is seen rather well indeed by our next example of community music in Kirklees, Beaumont Street Studios. It no longer exists, but it did for a while, and during that time it was very influential. This is Sean Leonard, who was the business development manager at Beaumont Street Studios for several years. We ran a, a sort of range of, of different media training courses. They were mainly sort of access level, you know, level one, level level two, 
stuff in uh, you know radio production, uh, sound production, and editing, video production, and so on and so forth. So we ran those, and I wanted it to to be more um, conscious of its of its kind of social obligation. Mm-hmm. It had been going oh, more than ten years before before I got involved, and it was started by the Huddersfield West Indian Association, and it, 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 its original base was at the Hadawi Centre. Yeah, so I, I saw plenty of opportunity both to link the organisation much more to the disadvantaged and excluded communities that it had always said it was there for, and I could see plenty of scope for that. We, we took on staff who were, who were black and who were Asian and who were, from, who were from those communities. We listened hard and constructed the, the courses around what we, what we were learning of the, the participants who were coming forward and, and, and what they wanted. Uh, we promoted it more actively in the communities that we were targeting. It, did, it increased the diversity in all sorts of ways of the people participating and training at at, at Beaumont Street. I was proud of that. Um, But of course, you know, it was far from perfect. This music was recorded at Beaumont Street Studios. It's the instigators who we'll hear more about in episode 11 of this podcast. Things changed at Beaumont Street Studios when Sean met a man called Stevo, now the owner of Small Seeds and Barmarock. Back then, Stevo was running the acoustic club at Abraham's. It moved to Bar 120, which became Bar 122, and now the venue is called Small Seeds. So I met him when I went along to a few um, acoustic night sessions at a bar called Abraham's in 2000. I observed him getting teenage boys or, or you know men in, the, in in their early 20s would turn up and they'd written songs and they wanted to play them and that they played them they then wrote more songs and so there was this gaggle of people and so I thought Beaumont Street was running a youth music program and you know one of the things pe- people say oh it's difficult to get the boys involved you know all of, all of that sort of thing and yeah I was observing at first hand that kind of happening and so I thought we can marry up this thing going on in Huddersfield with what we're doing in youth music. We did have another thing running sort of at the time which was called uh, Ready to Burn which was part of our youth music program and that was a sort of uh, mentoring development program for young people, young musicians and young young bands in the area so under up to 18 I think under 18s who were involved in music one way or another and they'd get a chance to do I suppose, you know, a series of workshops just themselves or their own bands and then to, uh, to cut, cut a CD at the end in the studio. And that, that worked ridiculously well. I think has helped spawn some of what has become the kind of Kirkley's music scene because I'm pretty sure that Chungy went through it and Ruby, went, Ruby Wood uh, went through it and a few of the, you know, a few people who've sort of gone on to become kind of local local luminaries in the on the on the professional scenes um and steve was involved in delivering that in fact he was overseeing the delivery of of that aspect of the of the youth music provision
Sean mentions Ruby Wood and Martin Chung in that little segment. This could easily take me off on a tangent, having spoken to both of them for this project about the local music scene around the early 2000s, but that's not what I'm here to do today. We'll have another episode covering that music scene later in the series. What does deserve a mention here, though, is the open mic scene. Open mics are a vital part of any thriving grassroots local music scene, and Kirklees have a lot of them. The acoustic club at Small Seeds was just mentioned there, and since I've moved to Huddersfield, which isn't that long, I've seen them pop up at the Shoulder of Mutton in Slowit, the Lib and the Riverhead in Marsden, the Junction in Marsh, Wood Street, the Northern Quarter, the Parish, the Turntable, Brickworks, the Jules Verne, all in Huddersfield, the Picture Joan Box Office, the Tap House, Hot Banana and the Farmer's Arms in Homefirth, the Tap House in Batley, the Walker's Arms in Cleckeaton. I'm sure I've missed most of the list out there. And when open mics work, it's because a community gathers there. They feel that the space is trusted and welcoming, it stands for their values and is supporting the local music scene. Like candles on a blustery day, open mics are easy to light, but more difficult to stay aflame. They pop up and disappear regularly. To get a flavour of what the open mic scene is like now, I spoke to a few people. Firstly, we're going to hear from some attendees at the Wood Street open mic. I also spoke to their previous host of three and a half years, which is a long time for comparing an open mic. She went on maternity leave, but she'd probably still be doing it now, so we'll also hear from Monica. I do it for free. Yeah? Oh, yeah. It's the best four hours of the stage for me, easily. Get to just be comfortable, everyone's nice, it's a good spot for it, it's chilling. Yeah, I love it. And then the first one was the first time I played guitar and sang on stage. It went so badly wrong, but then I used it as a, well, if I'm playing this badly, then anyone can. And I got a few people on the stage. I do that a lot recently, like, not play perfectly at the start, and then people can be, like, more comfortable to get on stage. I've been very good at being able to encourage people onto the stage from time. Um, so I will have started working here three years ago. So completely, completely new experience. Yeah, I just think it creates a really nice, like, safe space where people feel like comfortable enough to go up and perform. I think even just like the way it's compared and how everybody interacts and encourages each other is just really nice. Everyone's really supportive as well, which is always lovely. The, op- the open mic nights, um, um, they, can, they can vary, but I like this one because of the quite laid back, friendly atmosphere. It's very uh, accommodating, you know? Because um, I don't think like I've always felt like I'm a uh, at home in like the whole like drinking culture, you know, and that nightlife thing that goes along. In my third year of uni, um, a lot of my friends graduated and then went home and I didn't really have many friends and that was in 2018. So I've been coming since then. Um, and I, I got introduced to it through, you know Rosie? Yeah, she, um, I was painting at a house and she brought me to the, not the small seats, open mic. And I've been going every Tuesday and almost every Thursday since because I've met well because I think there is like a huge community and I've basically all of the friends I have now are from meeting them at those two things. I don't I don't play any instruments but I have a lot of friends that do now so I don't know, it's just a, a chill atmosphere. There's loads of normally loads of different things going on. 
I don't know. I, I love it when it's like someone you wouldn't expect much of comes in and then they just get up and do something crazy. That sound, sounds really good. I think that, that happens quite a lot here. Um, yeah, I've, I've been surprised a few times, I think. I really wanted to pass on what's been given to me through the open mic scene. So, facilitate an environment where people can be themselves and can build their confidence musically and personally in a space that is safe and welcoming and encouraging because I've received so much through the open mics. I basically, you could say, became a musician thanks to the open mics. Are you going to go back into the open mics? <laughs> so it's a bit tricky for me. I've got a little boy at the moment that needs me. Evenings are difficult to, to get away. I hope I'll be able to uh, get back out there and catch up a little bit and see what the scene is like now. Nothing, nothing you can say when the sea will come and take only the love you gave will stay. That was Salty Lips by Monica Zlamalova, and it's on that joyful note we'll conclude our exploration into local community music. In the next episode, we'll be delving into the exciting world of reggae sound systems and amplification. Get your earplugs at the ready and your dancing shoes on. We're going for a party. England's had its own history of lovers rock. Um, if you don't have love, we don't have nothing else. You know, it's, it, was, it was part of the culture. Sound systems have always been there. And if you haven't been to a dance, then you need to go because it's the experience of being in that crowd of people that are all on a unity vibe. Everyone loves the music, everyone loves what the music's saying. So it's one, one aim, one thought, one destiny. Speaking there was Donovan Brown, who will feature in our next episode, Sound Systems and Sound Systems. Tune in to find out all about the earth-shattering amplification that has been lifting the spirits of Kirklees since the 1960s. Thank you again for listening to another podcast in our 12-part series exploring a wide range of Kirklees music scenes. Remember, if you missed anything in this podcast and you'd like to know more, with the description of this episode on whatever platform you're listening to it on, you should be able to find all the information that was included. If you can't, feel free to contact us on social media via Music in Kirklees, Let's Go Yorkshire or SamH.Song. We're around on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us there too. Full recordings of most of the conversations heard in this episode are available at the West Yorkshire Archive Service. The conversations recorded for the Oral History Project include those with people from a wide range of musical disciplines. And we'll hear some more next month, so see you then. This was a Let's Go Yorkshire and Sam H. Song production. The host and producer was Sam Hudson. The podcast has been supported by Kirklees Council, Kirklees Year of Music 2023 and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Town Sounds explores the musical histories of Kirklees to uncover untold stories through the voices of local people living musical lives. For more information on this podcast, please visit musicinkirklees.co.uk